Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Well, did you have anything to do this weekend? Just sitting around the house all bored? I mean, nothing to do in the LC Valley this weekend. Whoo, I'm a little worn out from the pace of things this weekend. We had, uh, we had the fair. How many, how many were at the Soton County Fair this weekend? Okay, good. You have now bagged your season limit of corn dogs. You're not allowed to take any more of those. Okay. Um, how many slept in a cardboard box at Cardboard Box City? Excellent. Thank you very much. If you don't know about Cardboard Box City, it's like this. There, did you know there are people that don't have homes? They sleep in cardboard boxes, not to make a point, but to keep the rain off of their foreheads. Yeah, our teens know it, and so they wanted to help raise awareness, and they wanted to help raise some money. So here's the deal. If you didn't have a teenager tap you on the shoulder and say, could you help, uh, and you want to help, just find one this morning. They didn't have to sleep in a cardboard box for you to say, get this into the hands of a family promise, okay? Family promise making a real difference. Did you hear what Brian said to us this morning? Because you guys do what you do, because you volunteer the way that you volunteer. Um, there's a family that needs a bed because they have a place to put one. That means they're no longer homeless. Is that fantastic? I love that. That was one of the things that attracted me to this congregation when I first heard about you, was that these things happen and go into the homes of of people that you helped get into the homes. Man, the will of God is being done in this valley because of the way you guys are living. I'm excited about that. As a congregation, we have a mission. It is the why behind everything that we do. You see what we're doing around here? You ask the question why, the answer will always be the same thing. It's because Jesus said, make me some more disciples. Anything that we do comes out of that. Now, the way that we go about that here in this particular congregation is that we help people connect with God and with others. We help people grow in their faith, and we teach them that service is the only way to really live. Just pour out your life helping other people connect and grow and serve. But there are also three core values that that drive us forward in the mission, that that propel us to get out there and do the things that help to produce disciples. People who know who they are act accordingly. I've been teaching you that for the last couple of weeks. If you just really know who you are, then you're going to act accordingly most of the time. You will act in line with your character instead of contradictory to your character. Therefore, to know how to live in this world You really have to know who you are as an individual. The same is also true of churches. Churches tend to act according to their self-understanding. So there needs to be some kind of known answer to the question, who are we as a people, this congregation, First Naz? Well, we've been studying that for the last couple of weeks. And our identity is partially shaped by the fact that we belong to a denomination called the International Church of the Nazarene. If you've not been with us the last two Sundays, let me offer only a half apology for talking about denominational things. We're Nazarene, but we're Nazarene second, and we're Christian first, and if we have to pick, it's Christian. But we don't have to pick, and so we are both, but one of those is held in a very clear priority. We are Christians. But we are part of a denomination called the Church of the Nazarene that helps us understand who we are by giving us three core values. And uh, they go like this. Let's see if you can remember them. We are a 
Christian church. We are a holiness church. We are a missional church. Or if you can just read, they're right up there. Okay? First core value is we're a Christian church, which means that we follow the example and the teachings of Jesus and his apostles, which have been faithfully handed down to us through the ages, through the church, and through the printed scriptures. But uh, it's a pretty large body of thought, all of the New Testament, to try to get your mind wrapped around and to try to like, divide up into some, li- some, some life points so that you know how to conduct yourself in this world as a Christ follower. Fortunately, the Apostle Paul said, let me help you with that to some folks who were really struggling. They could not live at all in ways that, were, that would resemble the way Jesus lived in this world. So he said, let me just boil it down to some things you need to know about the faith. And he said, the things that I received from Jesus himself, I passed on to you as of first importance. Number one, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Number two, that he really was dead because they buried him. Number three, that he was resurrected from the grave on the third day and he proved it because after that he appeared to many people, to individuals like Paul, like Peter, but also to the 12 and also to groups as big as 500 at a time. The resurrection had plenty of evidence. And our first core value is that we're Christian, and Christian can mean a whole lot more than that, but at its very essence, it's just that. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, really did die, really was buried, rose from the dead, and proved it by showing himself to many, many people. Our second core value is that we are a holiness church, which means that we believe that it is possible not only to be forgiven of our past sins, but also to have our lives in the here and now and toward the future set apart for God only. And we can have our hearts fundamentally changed from the inside out by the work of his Holy Spirit so that our hearts begin to line up with God's heart and we begin to want the things in this world that that he wants to see happen in this world and we begin to want his will for us instead of just going along with it because he's bigger and can, you know, offer consequences. We get our hearts lined up with God's heart. So by the power of the Spirit, we then live differently than we did before we came to know the Lord. That's what we mean by saying we're a holiness church. Our third core value is the one that we're going to consider today, and it's this. We are a missional church. Now, our first value addresses the meaning of salvation, right? We're Christian. Second core value addresses the meaning of sanctification. We belong to God and are being thoroughly renovated by him. The third core value tells us something as well. But there's an idea that I want you to get a hold of here that I really didn't um, sufficiently communicate in last week's message. So I want to make sure you get it today. If we're going to talk at all about being sanctified, set apart for God's use only, filled with his Holy Spirit, empowered to live certain ways, you got to know this. This might be the takeaway if you only take one thing home today. It's this. We were not sanctified to sit, okay? We weren't saved to sit. We weren't sanctified to settle in. I'm going to say it again. We weren't saved to sit. We weren't sanctified to settle in. It's important enough, I want you to confess it with me. Would you say it? We were not saved to sit. We were not sanctified to settle in. Chew on that a little bit. Our third core value means that we are a people who take seriously one particular message in the scripture. It's called the Great Commission. We are a people who go and make disciples. 
And I did this little word study, and in Greek, the word go means go. There's no trick here. It means just get up and go. Go doesn't mean stay. Go means go and make disciples. Go means you got to get after it a little bit in this life, okay? I want us to review the Great Commission together this morning. The first expression of it is found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and following. I'd ask you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. We'll have it projected on the screen. Um, I hope you bring your Bibles with you from week to week, too. And if you're a, if you're a print Bible person, that is fantastic because you can take notes and your, your version that you carry around becomes the repository of all the good things God's given you over the years as you've studied the Scriptures. If you're an electronic person, fantastic. you got 18 different uh, translations at your fingertips. And I also know, you version users, that there's a way to take notes on there and save those. So what do you know? Um, technology did something good for us. Thank you, Jesus. Okay? The word of the Lord. We're, uh, we're bowing in your presence right now, Lord, asking that you would make some things clear to us. We went to school, we studied reading, we studied literature, we took reading comprehension tests, the Iowa test of basic skills, all that stuff. We're not asking for reading comprehension this morning so that we can get the facts. We're asking for light from your Holy Spirit. We believe that you carried men along by your Holy Spirit, inspiring them to write words that change human hearts. And this morning, we're signing up for change. Holy Spirit, as you inspired writers, will you now inspire readers? We listen for your voice. Here we go. Matthew chapter 28. Let me just pause for one second. You've heard this a lot of times if you've been around church at all, okay? There's a real danger that you will go on autopilot and go, I know this, and quit reading. No, no, no. This morning, read it like you're hearing it for the first time again, okay? Matthew chapter 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Hmm. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. There's a second version of the Great Commission. It's recorded by, by Luke in Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. It goes like this. He's writing to a friend. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he'd chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized. 
with the Holy Spirit, I bet they thought they were going to change a little, huh? So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Oh, that was awesome. Talk about knowing how to make an exit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The wording of these two passages is significantly different, as conversations are often remembered differently by the different people involved in them. But the message is the same. Both passages assign responsibility for kingdom expansion. It's universal. It's given to all Christ followers, to all the people who gathered in front of Jesus that day. He said, okay, time to leave. Time to go out there and make disciples, all of you. We never find one little caveat anywhere in the New Testament that says, except for people who don't want to do anything about the kingdom. We never find the caveat that says, unless you've reached the age of retirement and it's the young people's turn. We never find the the caveat for young people because you don't know enough yet or aren't mature enough yet. We never find the caveat for moms who are too busy or for dads who have to work too many hours. He just says, hey, everybody, go make disciples. It's universal. Both passages assign this idea of the, the responsibility for kingdom expansion. Everyone shares the responsibility of welcoming and even persuading other people to join us in our faith and in our worship of Jesus. Both passages also define a certain value for the church. That is something that is supposed to weigh on our hearts with such great importance that it determines what we will do in this world. And there's a value for the church assigned in both of those passages. And it is reaching pre-Christian people so that they don't continue to live without God in this life and then fall into an eternal life in which they're separated from him. To put another way, there is a value for the people of God that we so value other people that we are not okay with leaving them alone while they make hellish lives for themselves in this world and an actual hell for all of eternity. There's something about this idea that people separated from God that is supposed to disturb our sleep every once in a while. That's supposed to make us get a little catch in our throats when we drive past the soccer fields and we see how many of them are out there and we know that not all of them know and love our Lord yet. Both these passages assign responsibility for kingdom expansion. Both assign, uh, define a value for the church. Both passages define the scope of the mission. He said, do it everywhere, all around the world, both locally and globally, and in between if there's an in-between. It means that we participate locally and we give financially to the local mission of the church and that we both give and take action globally in the interest of mission too. Well, pastor, I prefer foreign missions. Great, Jesus doesn't. He prefers both. 
Pastor, I don't ever care to go to the dark continent. I just care about my neighbor. Great, Jesus cares about the dark continent too and says you should lift your eyes just a little bit. He assigned the scope of this thing. It's here, it's as far as we can reach, and then as far as he can reach, which is all the way around the world. Yeah. Both passages define the the scope of the mission and both define the actions of the mission. Here's the actions. You want to know how to do the mission? He said, um, witness, make disciples, teach people, and then induct them into the community of faith through the sacrament of Christian baptism. Witness, you'll be my witnesses. Go make some disciples. Once you've got them, teach them to do everything I taught you, and then formally induct them into the community of faith by passing them through the waters of Christian baptism. Both ver- versions of the story also compel and command us to go, to, to get involved, to take some kind of personal action for Jesus. The question is, what's it look like? How can we do it? Put another way, this is the question of missional living. What does it look like? Over the next few minutes, I want to offer to you some practical actions, some suggestions that you might be able to put into practice to move from being someone who wants to be a missional person to a person who's actively engaged and is, therefore, carrying out the mission that Jesus gave us. Let me ask you a question. If God taps you on the shoulder about one of these things I suggest in the next few minutes, will you just go do it, please? I'm going to give a lot of suggestions. And I really am not implying that you should go and attempt to do all of them. I hope that each one of them gets done by someone, several someones. But you're not responsible for all of them. Just the one where the Holy Spirit goes, that was for you. So would you listen for his voice for the next few minutes? And if he says, hey, will you just say yes, Lord? I got to tell you, if you do, we're going to get a new world. I got to tell you that, that if you do just the one thing, Each time he taps you on the shoulder, if you just do the one thing that the Holy Spirit says to you, we're going to get a new valley. There's going to be a lot more people who love and follow him and enjoy the blessings and bring the blessings of the kingdom to earth so that his will ends up being done here just like it is in heaven like Jesus prayed. You want to get after that together? Then let's talk a little bit about about what it looks like. Uh, Go means go home. The, the gospel message is first and foremost supposed to be lived out and spoken of at home, in the nest, with you and the rest of the people who live there. You remember the biblical definition of love, right? Demonstrate your preference for the well-being of your family over and above yourself, even at great personal expense by the help of the Holy Spirit. Wasn't that the definition of love? Yeah. In other words... Uh, stop acting selfishly at home. People are on to you. They know you like you. <laughs> they know that some days you like you more than everybody else in the house. And it uh, should not be that way. <laughs> That's what the Bible says. Should not be that way. It says that because of what Christ is doing in your heart, you should be able to look at the annoying human being next to you and say, but I prefer your well-being over mine. So you get what you need today. You get what you want today. And I'll count on God to meet my needs and my desires at some point in the future. Magically, mystically. Or to tap you on the shoulder so that you want to do that someday. Wow, not a lot of amens. This is practical. Okay, maybe. 
Maybe everybody's already doing this, so they can ignore the go home section. Go home also means teaching your children the scriptures and the practice of Christian faith and missional living by involving them in each of those things. I'm going to say it again. Going home also means teaching your children the scriptures, teaching them how to practice the faith, and teaching them missional living by involving them in each of those things. Okay? Nod your heads if you understand what I'm talking about here. Okay. Uh, I didn't get 100%, so I'm going to teach about it. Um, Reading the Bible means reading the Bible out loud at some point in the day to your kids. I don't care how much. Jesus didn't say how much, so there isn't a how much. The point is that it is the responsibility of parents to teach the scriptures to their children. We're talking about the possibility of a new youth pastor. It is not his job, first and foremost, to disciple your kids. It is your job, parents, to disciple your kids. I'll wait for it. Thank you. Yeah, children's ministry, thank you so much for what you do in helping me fulfill my responsibility to teach my children the scriptures. You know what? Sunday school isn't going to stand at the judgment because it only exists in time. But this guy is going to stand before God at the judgment and he's going to say, about those three Purcell children, let's talk. It's our responsibility, if we're going to live missionally, to teach our children the scriptures, to show them by our consistent example how important it is to practice the faith in public worship and in acts of service, both private ones that you, you just you and your children do that nobody ever knows about, and in the church's projects to help the community in visible kinds of ways. Go means go home. Go also means go to work. The gospel message is supposed to be lived out and spoken on the job. Love, you know the definition of it by now, is to be the rule of thumb all the time toward employers and bosses and peers and those who are down the authority chain from you. You're supposed to demonstrate real love for the people you work with through productivity, through respect, through helpfulness, through being conscientious. And then, as you do those things, you will get opportunity to speak about the faith and to make invitations into the faith. And it's very important, hear me on this, it's very important that you're conscientious about that, that you don't make your boss pay for your mission of living. But you get lunch breaks. Buy somebody's lunch and talk to them about something that matters. You get a chance in passing to bear testimony to Christ. And I promise when you live conscientiously toward bosses, peers, owners, uh, employees, the janitor, his wife who comes to pick him up after work, you'll get the chance to answer the question, what's so different about you? Why do you do this all the time? You'll get the chance. And God expects us to do it. Uh, remember that in order to have a legitimate opportunity to speak for the faith means absolute honesty in all business dealings. I had a church uh, member one time tell me, pastor, church is church and business is business. I said, you could end up in hell over that. You you could. By saying, I'll act one way at church and I'm going to do whatever I want in the interest of my business outside of here. (laughs) 
that kind of defiance in your spirit, God, God smacks that down on occasion. He says, I, I, I crush defiance. As Christ followers, we come to our business saying, it's God's business, and I'm conducted in a way that brings him glory and brings good to other people. I'll let you figure out what that means about how you pay your employees. I'll let you figure out what that means about being on time and, and all of that stuff. But go means go home and show preference to the people that you live with. And go means go to work and show preference to the people that you work with. And go also means go to town. It means get involved in the community in which you live. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Got a question for you. How does salt taste while it's in the salt shaker? No, it doesn't taste at all in the salt shaker. It has to get out of the shaker before it can produce any kind of flavor or, or taste to anything else. A word to the sufficiently wise is unnecessary. It means we've got to get out there. You see, the community drives by and sees cars in the parking lot here, but they don't have any idea what that really means. They may recognize your car and go, oh, well, she's religious. But they don't understand what that really means. And so our responsibility is not to be silent witnesses who park in a certain place each week. We're supposed to be people who go out into the community and get the salt out of the salt shaker into the world where it can produce some flavor, right? And where it can begin to do its preserving work that salt always does. Listen to this. I want you to get a hold of this. Christ walked into his community, not just through it. You get that? Christ walked into it, not just through it, while he was running to do his Jesus thing. Now, ministry for Jesus in his hometown was uphill sledding. He said, man, those people won't let me do any miracles. <laughs> what kind of a messed up town is it that won't let Jesus do any miracles? But Nazareth, his town was a rough, rough place for for him to be Jesus. This town might be a rough place for you to be authentically Christian, but the call of God is for you to walk into your community. Be there. Not just passing through it to get from it what you want or what you need. Jesus lived with his disciples, but he went into his community with the life-saving message of God's love and of life change. To follow Christ is to walk where he walks, and that means to walk into your town. Involvement in community activities that involve sports, the arts, and business can be merely self-serving. I do it for me. Or when offered intentionally to God, these things become missional living. Let's talk about it for a minute. Coaching or playing sports as a Christ follower means a number of things. I, uh, my, my first opportunity to be a pastor was in Connell, Washington. And it was a fantastic start for me. I, God got something really right when he took us to Connell. And I went there to interview, and my, uh, I was supposed to speak that night, and the plane, uh, you know, plane things happened. So they canceled the flight from Portland, or from Salt Lake to, from Salt Lake to Spokane. Um, Instead, they put us on a Korean jumbo jet full of as many Koreans as you can fit in a jumbo jet and flew us to Portland and left us there and said, 
there should be room maybe later today on some connecting flight. When we got to Spokane and then we drove to Connell where the good people of the Connell Church of the Nazarene had been sitting in the pews in the church for one hour after the church service was supposed to start waiting for me to come and talk. And so I went and talked and I don't remember and nobody there remembers anything that I said that night because I was probably trying to impress them. And uh, um, you know how that goes. The next morning, I'd been in town maybe like eight hours, and we're doing this early morning thing at Michael J's restaurant for the men. And uh, this guy walks in, whom I've obviously never met, and says, hi, my name's Norm. Uh, do you want to coach track here? I said, I don't even, they haven't offered me a job here. I don't know if I'm moving here. Well, if they do, you want to come work for me and coach track? I asked the guy that wasn't yet my boss if he might allow me to work, and he said yes. And Norm said, here's the one deal. If you accept a job on my coaching staff, you have to promise to use absolutely every opportunity to tell kids about Jesus. I said, we might get along. (laughs) And uh, he was a young life director, and and he got it. And he said, Cliff, you got to be wise about this. But when God makes opportunities, don't you fail to take them. And I got to go and coach this sport that I love. I got to run people till their tongues hung out like big red neckties. And uh, that is fun. You should try it, uh, the coaching part. And, uh, and I got to use sports with all these built-in metaphors as a way to speak to people about my faith. Coaching or playing sports as a Christ follower means pursuing excellence while you build other people up. Pursuing excellence while you build other people up. Listen, encouragement is a very precious commodity. Almost nobody has enough of it. You should distribute it widely because you have an unlimited supply of it and it's free. But it's worth so very much to other people, even those who are just out having a good time on the field. If you're going to be a Christ follower who uses sports as a way to show the glory of God, then you've got to get a hold of something too. You have to be a throwback to the days when humility and honor were the substance of athletic endeavor. Humility and honor are rarely seen on the sporting field or the court today. Be a throwback to the days when athletes were as concerned with completing honorably and conducting themselves with humility as they were with winning. Amen, Cliff. There was a day when to be sporting meant that winning was a maybe. But honor and humility were a guarantee. And it ought to be that way among the people of God. Historically speaking, it has been the Christian church that has been the greatest patron of the arts in Western culture. Sometime a century or more ago, however, we forgot that beauty belongs to God and it is defined by Him. And the church abdicated our role as teacher and proponent of the public expressions of beauty that are known as the arts. Music, graphic media, the theater, literature, we belong there. That we, can, we can bring our A game there. We have a lot of makeup work to do, I think in educating ourselves as to the nature of beauty and how to make it. But Christians owe it to the world to lend God's influence to public displays of beauty. I'm saying go be salt and light. Go and give something to it. 
Are you an artist of any variety? Are you displaying your abilities in the interest of bringing God glory? Are you passing along your abilities through, through lessons or mentorship? Are you participating in community ensembles and productions and letting your faith inform your performance? These are ways to live missionally and have a lot of fun in the meantime. Yeah. We don't always have to reinvent the wheel. It's important for us to remember that there are many service organizations surrounding us as well, like Kiwanis and Rotary and Salvation Army and St. Vincent's and Boy Scouts of America and so on and so forth that seem to be tailor-made for Christ followers because they're playing in our strong suit because we see ourselves as the servants of of humanity, don't we? Well, we can invent some things that we will do that identify us as the church, but we're also going to sneak into every organization out there that's already doing the work of God without knowing the power of his Holy Spirit. We're supposed to go and introduce people to service that comes with Holy Spirit-inspired strength and humility. Go means go to town. Go also means go to church. Wow, Cliff, that's really preachery. Yeah, huh? It is. It just is. I know. Preachers telling people to go to church. Guilty. Right up here. Any local church is this interesting and I think vital mix of both Christ followers and God-fearers. People say, I, 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 there's a God. I want to honor him. I do not have any idea what you're talking about in the whole Jesus department. There's people like that in churches. Church is a mix of Christ followers, of God-fearers, and of people who are just considering, contemplating the whole Christian message in life and don't know yet, but they're, they're here to learn. And church also includes some people who have no faith at all, but they choose to be a part of our community of faith for other reasons, for friendship, to be loved, to find ways of serving, or for reasons that maybe we or they don't fully know. And there's room in the church for absolutely all of those people. Jesus himself taught that the kingdom here on earth would not be a very pure thing in the way that you and I think of it. He said that it would be a mixed lot. Remember the parable of the wheat and the weeds? And the disciples said, we should tear all the weeds out. And he said, you don't get it. You'd you'd tear the whole thing up if you started tearing weeds up. So why don't you let me sort it all out at the end? He also told his followers, to let him worry about all the sorting out. He'll determine the criteria, and he'll get it 100% right. But the Bible instructs us to be a committed part of a local body of believers, to faithfully attend and participate in the life of a congregation. Hebrews chapter 10 underscores this teaching very plainly. Several passages in Paul's letters do the same. The very beginning of faithfulness to this teaching is consistent attendance to worship and to some sort of discipleship class, group, thing, study that helps you grow in your faith. To use uh, an analogy from the scriptures, the, uh, the analogy of an organism, my heart has to be present within my chest, within the rest of my body, in order to receive life from it, and in order to give life to it. See, I have this perfectly healthy heart. But if you take it out of here, I don't like my odds. I don't like my heart's odds either. You've seen the movies, right? The martial arts guy, 
pulls their heart out in front of the guy and it's beating. Yeah, three times and then clunk, clunk. That's the way it goes in this world. There's, the, the heart has to be present with, within the body to give life to it and to get life from it. And strangely enough, it works with your arm too. Your ear, your appendix, your teeth. They stay connected, good. Disconnected, bad, right? Life, death, you get it. Go means go to church. And, and, and going to church means that, that you serve within it and that you do it gladly, okay? Hear me say it. I don't know my heart. I mess things up, people. I know it. I've got blind spots. And I don't, I don't want this to sound like a club, okay? But I mean it, I mean it, I mean it. If you can't serve gladly, then please step aside for a little while till the Lord does something in your heart, okay? Because uh, begrudging service, God doesn't honor it. He won't let you be successful. He won't let you fulfill the mission if you do it with the, why do I always have to? And why don't they ever, you just won't honor it. Do this, serve with gladness or step aside for a little bit and ask the Lord to help you get glad. My grandfather used to always say, you know, a man can get glad in the same pants he gets mad in. Being a part of a local church means serving within it, doing so gladly. It implies that each of us adults will strive to become spiritually mature enough to pass this faith on to the children and the teens of our church and that the teens will work hard at maturing enough that in a very short amount of time, they will take their place among the mature adults in the congregation. And between then and now, they'll be far enough along that they no longer are like children and can also be helpful in ministering to and teaching children. See, the, the church does these things where we compartmentalize, and I, I understand why we do it, so we can be maximum effective in, in teaching at different stages of life. But there's a point where we're supposed to all come back together and all the fringe does this. You get this nice tight dovetail joint between each of the generations where we quit looking down our nose at each other because they're too young and they're too old or they're too immature and they're too stuck in their ways and we honor and respect and love one another and take the good things that have already been accomplished in the kingdom and pass them from one person to another and the good things that he's about to do and pass them up the chain the good things he's doing right now and pass them up the chain to the people who think the glory days are behind us, not in front of us. The kingdom's supposed to go just like that once in a while between our generations. And we're going to work hard at that here. It means that we have to guard our hearts against spiritual complacency and laziness and excuse making because we're all professionals at all of those things. We're to make disciples, both of those who come to faith in adulthood, those who are born into this community of faith, and those who are, who are raised within it, and to every possible child or teen that we can snag from out there. And all of us share this responsibility to do the work, and all means all. Yep. That concludes the lesson for today. Go means go. Go doesn't mean stay. We weren't saved to sit. We were not sanctified to settle in to our comfortable little places 
or I can get me some more church this week. Yay, encouraged in my faith. We're called to go be salt. It means out of the shaker and be light. And it means the beam has to shine past the end of the flashlight out to where it's dark. We've received from God so that we have something to give to others and in this way to be like our God. We've been commissioned to go, to live missionally in this world. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. John chapter 20, verse 21. It's, it's not just something we do. It's who we are. We're missional people. And knowing who we are determines how we live toward one another in this place and toward the community around us. So one more time, let's remind ourselves who we are as people who are part of this congregation, which is part of a larger outfit. We are a Christian church, a holiness church, a missional church. Lord, may it be that. Please stand with me. Lord, may it be that. May we be each of those things. We're Christian. We are. We believe what you taught us, what your apostles taught us about Jesus after his death and resurrection. We believe we're Jesus people around here. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a new kind of life for Jesus that he passes on to us. We're Jesus people. We're Christian. Praise your holy name. I'm grateful for that. We're holiness people and we're becoming holiness people. You have set us apart and we second the motion. And you've done some mighty transformative things, but um, you still have some work to do in us. Last week, we paused quietly before you to, to let you speak to us about what you might want to do. Just know that that's an open invitation, Lord. Keep speaking. Show us how we can be like you, not just set apart for you. Like you. Today, one more time, we affirm together that right in the very DNA of this church is the business of going. Would you help us to go make disciples? Would you help us parents to disciple our kids instead of hoping somebody at the church does it? Would you help us husbands to love our wives like you love the church? Lay down our lives for her like you lay down your life for the church? Would you help wives to respect their husbands? Just what your word says for us to do. Would you help us? Because we don't get it right on our own. And we want to be fulfilling your mission at home first so we have some credibility and a springboard into the world around us. Would you help us to go to work and find that fine line between what's, what's appropriate and what is a bunch of excuses about not bearing light in dark places? Would you help us to love our town? Would you help us to genuinely love it? To prefer its will being to our own so we give as much goodness to it as we can? And would you just help us in our relationship with the church? Because relationship with the church is, is, is tough in the modern world. The whole, the whole world tells us that the church is messed up. And it kind of is in a lot of ways. But man, it's the only boat afloat, so we're going to get in and bail. Would you help us, Lord, to be people who come and give to the church so that it really can be uh, like a city on a hill, lit up, unable to be hidden. We ask, Lord, for your help in each of these things. 
We also know that there's a whole world out there. Maybe, maybe today you'd call one of us to go. Maybe we'll just be quiet before you for a minute. You can tell us where you want us to go be salt and light. Show us where to take the beds, Lord. Would you please? Show us where to deliver the groceries. Show us where to go and visit. Show us where to direct the offering. If you're going to say go, would you please just tell us where and to whom? In the meantime, we'll keep our eyes open. Because it's who we are. We're missional people. We're yours. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Ready? Set. Go. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah.